But I can tolerate them, but I can't ever eat broccoli. Have you ever had it like charred? <sighs> yeah, I also it's very tough on your stomach. Is it? Yeah, if you like have stomach issues, you're not really supposed to eat broccoli. That was the best news I ever got from a doctor. Oh my god, that you're not <laughs> supposed to eat broccoli? <laughs> yeah. You fucking five-year-old. Well, actually, so Jake has started a quarantine garden, as is the trend. Stop! He has? That's so cute! But it's like growing out of control and he's like, we have all this fresh lettuce. What? So like yesterday, he made me a salad with his garden lettuce and then I was like, you know, I wish we had honey mustard dressing and then he figured out how to make it. Is this a real person? I don't know. Is this a real person? It's wild. Speaking of partners, uh, guess who's back in the house? Mal is back. Back is Mal. <laughs> so it's been like three and a half months since we'd seen each other. Because they were what in New York. What was their reunion like? Uh, it was beautiful. Uh, so they, dro- they drove cross country and they live here now. And th- we live together now. In um, your Airbnb? In our, yes, we live in, a, we live in an Airbnb. But the point is, is that we live together. So that's very exciting. They've been here. Congratulations. Thank you. They've been here like two days. Uh, and I, it was like, it was not weird. It wasn't like a weird, like, oh my God, nice to see you again or whatever. <laughs> um, I never anticipated in my life that I would date someone so far away for so long. Cause like yeah. most of our long distance, I mean, we were seeing each other like at least every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And and then it was like almost four months, uh, which like I really I was like, are we going to make it? This is crazy. Never done this before. Let me tell you, there were ups and downs. But um, yeah, I just it feels very much like we did it. <laughs> Congratulations. We achieved it. Yeah, you should have like a celebratory dinner. <laughs> we've had we've uh, uh, they've been cooking, which is really nice. They like Ooh. I woke up, they had made like this whole breakfast. It was so cute. We really lucked out with our partners. I can't. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I and I and they got me. They gave me my birthday present, which because they missed my birthday. And it was like a real because I I've been learning guitar on like literally a plastic guitar that I got from like a thrift store. And then mm-hmm. they bought me, like, a very nice wooden guitar. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, really nice. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, ugh. I, 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 like, had in my mind, I was like, we're never going to see each other again. This is, like, when, like, we're at war and I'm, like, writing letters across the sea or whatever. But, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, ugh, what a relief. This is Just Between Us, a variety <laughs> show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. I just have to make sure we get that in or we'll get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, like, f- if this is your first time listening, uh, Jake is uh, Allison's boyfriend and or fiance. No, oh, not. my God, fiance. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Jake is Allison's fiance um, and Mal is my partner. And uh, sorry to brag on them because I bet single people are like, fuck, go fuck yourselves. Hey, 
there's hope at the end of the tunnel. I think that, yeah. And I think if That's you want to... should take from this. <laughs> if you want to go back through our entire histories, you'll see we'd, we've earned it. Okay. <laughs> um, so this week we're going to be asking writer Ben Sheehan some tough questions. Very exciting episode. He is the author of OMG WTF Does the Constitution Actually Say? Which is a thing that I think quite often. And later we'll be discussing, are we responsible for other people's health given the global pandemic? A.K.A. masks, baby. Mask for mask. Mask it up. <laughs> but first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Anonymous. Who knows? Ooh. I added the who knows for the uh, location. Ooh, they didn't even put their location. Mysterious. Mystery. Mysterious. Sexy. Mystery. So Anonymous asks, how to talk to your therapist about politics. Woof. Brief summary. I want to ask my therapist if she is conservative or a Trump supporter. Is that okay to ask? How do I ask this? Is it okay to want to switch therapists if I find out she is conservative? They go on to say, I've had a therapist for about two months that I really like. Recently, I sent her a message saying that in our next session, I wanted to take some time to discuss coping with my fear of Trump and conservative views in America. After I sent her the message, it occurred to me that she could support Trump. We haven't discussed politics yet because we have been working on specific goals around my anxiety and don't talk much about the day to day unless it relates to my goals. She doesn't seem like she would support him. She seems sane and nice, but you never know. Aww. There is no way I could have a therapist who supports Donald Trump or who is conservative. It would make me feel unsafe and like they aren't a good person. It would also make it hard for me to talk about the ways I am politically active. I wanted to send her a follow-up message explaining that I know we haven't talked about politics, but I am liberal and need her to be as well, or I need a new therapist, but I had no idea how to go about it without sounding rude. Is it an okay thing to ask a therapist? Is it okay to feel like I need a therapist who shares my political views? If so, how do I ask this? It is absolutely okay. And let me tell you something. We got th we got things twisted in our minds about about the way things work, okay? Because she works for you. You hired her. That is someone that you have vetted and you have hired and is supposed to be helping you. So if you find out that a part of her it doesn't work for you, then you're allowed to find a new therapist. So Yes, in an ideal world, that's the answer, obviously. But I, I think that things get a little more complicated with the fact that therapists um, don't talk about themselves, dif different amounts about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw this question, you know, my instinct is obviously like, yes, it's okay to ask. Yes, it's okay to change therapists, of course. But I kind of wanted to get like a professional point of view on it. So I actually brought up this question in one of my classes. Oh, okay. What'd they say? Oh, man, did it start a whole conversation? <gasps> wow, you're really bringing it to the class. Yeah. Um, but basically, there's a lot of different therapists out there who have different ways that they practice. So to begin with, you have to figure out what type of therapist style works for you. So for, you know, if you're more of like a psychoanalytic, psychodynamic therapist, like maybe you've been trained not to talk about yourself. So when you ask that question, they might ask you back, why is that so important to you? Okay, okay. Instead of giving you an answer. So that was something that my teacher talked about. She said, you know, maybe what we should do is really, you know, try to examine why that is so important to the person. Okay. 
I think that's a little bit of bullshit. I think it's pretty obvious why that's important to the person. Right. Sure, sure, sure. You know, is and that I what sort of someone push- in your that's what someone in your group said? That's what my teacher said. Oh, okay, your teacher. Okay. And so I sort of pushed back on that because and then another kid started talking about objectivity and how you should be objective in therapy and whatever. And I think that's true for the therapist. Um, and there is a really big an emphasis on being culturally competent okay. and that you need to understand your client's culture and like understand how it works and how it influences them. Um, and you're not, and like, it's actually like a really big part of it is that you're not supposed to impose your values on your client. Okay. So in that version, there could be, let's pretend that her therapist is conservative. Her therapist might reply by saying, why is that important to you? And discuss it that way and then never reveal their own views. Okay. And they, and they might also then really, if they're a good therapist and somehow they're conservative, which I don't really get, but let's pretend. <laughs> then <laughs> what's the angle then, on this podcast? It's always so hard to tell where we stand. <laughs> but so let's say somehow we have that dichotomy where they're conservative and they're and they're good therapists, mm-hmm. it would be on them to never impose their views on you. So even though you feel, even though you are liberal, they would never try to change that. And they would also make you feel safe in the space to talk about those things, even if that's not how they personally feel. But they're still human and there's still biases. Oh, absolutely. So much of being a therapist is recognizing your own biases and checking them. But I also I also fought back and I was like, I understand that therapists are supposed to be objective, but I don't think that patients have to be. Oh, say more about that. I think it is. I think it is well within your right to ask that. And then you make your judgment call based on what your therapist says. So if your therapist is liberal, it's completely appropriate for them to say, yeah, I don't support Trump. Yeah, that's like, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's 100 percent fine. Um. That's not like breaking an ethical boundary. Or if for they're like, well, I'm a Republican, but I, I'm a never Trump Republican. Then you go, ah, I'll think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing my professor said that the therapist could potentially say in response to that question is just, you're safe here, mm. which you can. Okay. 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 To mean that that's because you're safe here because they agree with you politically or you're safe here because they're going to respect and you know, Mm -hmm. listen to your point of view. Okay. That said, like, I still think that it is absolutely okay to demand an answer. Yes, yes. (laughs) And that's just you having a preference in what you want your relationship with your therapist to be. Absolutely. And the number one thing that is proven to be the most effective in therapy is the relationship between the therapist and the client. In terms of like, who feels the best about disclosing what? No, just like that that there needs to be a a genuine relationship between the the patient and the therapist that there has to be unconditional positive regard coming from the therapist towards the patient that you know that the patient needs to trust that, that there that there just has to be a strong foundation of that relationship mm-hmm. in order to do the work on top of that. So like there's been studies and stuff where it's like there's so many different modalities, there's so many different techniques and they're like, yeah, this is effective, this is, you know, proven, but at the end of the day, like the most important thing is your relationship with your therapist. Right. If they say something that makes you like suspicious, then you don't yeah, trust or them. Or if they won't first of all, if they won't answer the question 
and you're like, well, they still could be liberal, but maybe that's just like how they are a therapist. It's okay for you to say, well, that's not the type of therapy that I want. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And there's also feminist therapy. Mm -hmm. So there is a modality that is um, from coming from a feminist mindset, which is basically where it started off very like white feminism. Um, sure. As, yep. <laughs> so, that makes sense. As every, as so many things do. So I want to acknowledge that, but yeah. um, it's also, you know, now I think is really focusing on multiculturalism and a big tenet of, of feminist therapy is acknowledging um, how much social political environment affects you. So how mm-hmm. much like being a woman, what it means to be a woman in, or like gender roles, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, you know, oppression, like systematic oppression, systematic racism, all of those things. And a feminist therapist, a big part of it is that they themselves are politically active. Yes. That like, it's not just that they're like helping people through one-on-one, they're also attempting to make societal change. So I think, you know, if let's say this woman doesn't answer your question or doesn't answer it the way that you want her to answer, you can go and look for a feminist therapist. Yeah, I mean, my therapist is, I particularly looked for um, a a LGBTQ therapist, Mm -hmm. and I ended up with a butch lesbian therapist, which I think I've said many times on this show, please get yourself a butch lesbian therapist, you will not regret (laughs) it. Um, But yeah, so like, I I think you are allowed to uh, want a therapist who agrees with your political views. I think it's also sometimes a really good idea to have, if you're black, to have a black therapist. If you're queer, to have a queer therapist, you know? If you're a woman, to have a female therapist. Like, I do think that that makes a big difference and helps, like, with shortcuts for things. And I think, like, that helps also with, with feeling safe. Like, I'm very, I'm very for that. Yeah, I think you have to figure out what your priorities are and you have every right to decide what type of relationship you want to have with your therapist. And you have every right to ask that question. Every right to ask that question. Absolutely. One guy in my class said that it was like an unhealthy question to ask. And he like did this whole spiel. And then as soon as he stopped talking, I said, I disagree with everything you said. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a white guy? Yeah. Yeah, of course it was. (sighs) Wow. But you know, and then, um, and then one girl who I've had in other classes, who's awesome. She's black. And she, and she talked about, you know, it's not about Trump or not. It's literally like, does this person recognize my right to be alive as a human? You know, and, and like that, that's so powerful. and so true. And I actually like did a little research and there is, um, you know how there's like better health yeah, and yeah, like yeah. all these online services. There is something called therapy for black girls.com. Yes. Where- there's also the Loveland foundation, which is very similar. Yeah, so like that's like an online resource to have therapy with other, you know, with black therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there is like this change where like it is becoming more clear like what people are specialized in, what yep. their beliefs are, what they're what they focus on, and so it's well within your right to make sure that you are working with a therapist who you think is a good person. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm glad we solved it. Yeah, let us know what she said. I'm on the edge of my Me seat. Me too. <laughs> If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we have a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Ben Sheehan, all about the Constitution. Just Between Us. Hey! Just Between Us. 
Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week, our guest is the author of OMG WTF, Does the Constitution Actually Say? Ben Sheehan. Hello, Ben. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So what's the Constitution? Yeah, that Uh, was going to be my first question. Damn it, Allison! (laughs) It's a very good one, and a good one to start on. Uh, It's a document written in 1787 that took effect in 1789, and it basically says how our country is not only supposed to work, but is, is allowed to work. What made you write this book in, in 2020? <laughs> Answer uh, Allison's question. Answer Allison's question. Uh, what made it, me write it in 2020? Uh, I, I, I wrote it in 2019, and I noticed there were some, uh, some issues that were arising, some tests, uh, things that may or may not be uh, uh, allowed by the Constitution that seemed to be arising. And I also realized that a lot of my friends, and I'm going to include myself in this category, uh, didn't really know what was in it. And mm-hmm. I did a lot of political work in 2018 and did events to help elect progressive governors, secretaries of state, and attorneys general. And I would have these events. The organization was called OMGWTF, and it was for Ohio, Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, Texas, and Florida. So we focused oh. on those six states and the governors, secretaries of state, and attorneys general in those states. And I would have these events and I'd be talking about secretaries of state and attorneys general and people come up to me and ask me questions about Rex Tillerson or uh, Jeff Sessions. And I was like, no, we're talking about state secretaries of state. And they'd give me this look where I realized they didn't know that they had that those jobs existed. And so I started thinking about why, why don't some of us know that? And it dawned on me that we've been cutting civics classes heavily for the last 20 years to the point where only eight states are required to teach a year of government or civics at some point between kindergarten and 12th grade. So a lot of us never learned about the Constitution or certainly learned about it for any quality period of time. So I thought maybe having this book sort of to explain it would be helpful because it's written in such old timey, dense, strange English punctuation, misspelling, but the information still governs us. So it, hopefully we can, you know, use this book to, to understand the, the information and, and, you know, make sure that we're not violating it. So obviously people use the constitution incorrectly all the time. Um, what, and like, what are some of the, the, as you were writing this, the biggest like discrepancies where you're like, oh my God, people use this all the time. It's not even true. Well, one thing is this whole idea of that we're supposed to follow every word in the constitution and we're not supposed to change it. Uh, the entirety of the fifth article, uh, of seven, seven articles, the fifth one is dedicated to telling us how to change the constitution. It's the amendment process. So basically the idea is if future generations have a problem with what's in here or they want to add something and change it, then they should. And when this document was being written, this wasn't a controversial idea. In fact, there was a correspondence between Thomas Jefferson and James Madison where Thomas Jefferson said that we should have a new constitution every 19 years. He said it was like having a, having a coat that fit you when you were five years old or when you were a boy, expecting it to fit you, you know, when you were 20 or 25. Mm -hmm. And that this was something that wasn't controversial that we should change it. So this idea that it's supposed to remain exactly as it was in uh, 1787 when it was written is complete bullshit. Um, I would say there's also nothing in the 
document about who is allowed to vote. What's really interesting is it doesn't say that you have to be 18. It doesn't say that you have to uh, be a U.S. citizen. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says that your voting rights can't be taken away because of your race can't be taken away because of your sex. They can't be taken away because you're over the age of 18, but it doesn't say who can vote. It doesn't specifically say these people can vote, and that's because they left it up to the states. So in each state, it was, uh, it was, it was given the power to decide who could and couldn't vote in their states. They basically punted it. And, and today, um, obviously, all of those people I mentioned are, are allowed to to vote, but we still don't allow uh, uh, non-citizens to vote in federal elections. But for most of the country's history, non-citizens could vote for president. They could vote in state elections. They could vote. Even today, some local elections, non-citizens can vote. Uh, in my home state of Maryland, there are multiple local governments where non-citizens can vote in the elections. 16-year-olds can vote in the elections. So this idea that it says explicitly who can and can't vote is just not true. Where does the Electoral College come in? This is showing me that showing that I don't know anything about anything. But where is that rule? Is that in the Constitution? It is. So it's in the second article that talks about electing the president. And it's also in the 12th Amendment because they changed it. So the Electoral College basically says that every state uh, decides how to choose its electors, this group of people who will vote directly for president. And every state gets electors equal to its number of U.S. representatives, which depends on their population, the state's population, uh, and its U.S. senators, so always two. So uh, the state of Texas has 36 representatives in the House and two senators, so they get uh, 38 uh, electoral votes, 36 plus two. And the idea was to give states some you know, role in helping to pick the president, uh, as well as people. But what's fascinating about the Electoral College is that we don't actually have the right in the Constitution to vote for president. In fact, it's only been since 1880 that every state has allowed a statewide popular vote for president. Before that, it was common for states to just have their legislatures pick the electors and, and people had no agency or you know decision-making in the process. So we don't actually have the constitutional right to vote for president. It's whether or not our states want to let us be the ones who choose the, the electors or who the electors should vote for uh, versus the state legislatures. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's wow. wild. It's wow. wild. And it's also like a very, it's become a very lopsided system because the population discrepancies back, you know, in 1787 were uh, uh, much less varied than they are now where you have, to give you an example. So uh, I mentioned Texas earlier, Texas versus Wyoming. Right now in Texas, every vote for every one electoral vote, it corresponds to about 550,000 voting age residents. Wyoming's three electoral votes, one of them corresponds to every 140,000 voting age residents. So your vote for president as, as a citizen of Texas versus Wyoming is 73% less impactful in Texas than it is in Wyoming. So I personally think we should change the electoral college I think it's long outlasted its uh, oh, usefulness yeah. and, mm-hmm. and welcome. Uh, and I think we should have a national popular vote for president, which would either inc- require an amendment to the Constitution or something called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, where a bunch of states agree that if uh, uh, the total electoral votes of a bunch of states reach 270, then they'll give the electors to the winner of the national popular vote, not their own state's popular vote. Mm. 
How do you change the Constitution? So the amendment process is very hard. And I think there's been 11,000 amendments proposed in Congress to uh, uh, for discussion. Only 33 have made it through the approval process of two-thirds of the House and two-thirds of the Senate voting wow. to send them to the states. So there's two, there's two ways to propose an amendment. Uh, and there's two ways to, to ratify an amendment. So you can either propose an amendment by having two-thirds of the Senate and the House uh, agree on them, vote on them, and they go to the states, or two-thirds of state legislatures can call a constitutional convention at which amendments can be proposed. And that latter version, that latter means has never happened in American history. Um, mm. All the amendments that we've had have been proposed by Congress to the states. So if you had two thirds, so 34 state legislatures called a constitutional convention, uh, there's no rules at what could happen at that convention. They could be, it could be tied to one amendment. They could come up with a bunch of different amendments. It sort of, there, there's no real guidebook to how this should go, which is kind of scary uh, to have a bunch of people suddenly have power to rewrite the entire constitution versus one single amendment being proposed. So that's the proposal process. The ratifying process is three quarters of states, either state legislatures, so 38, uh, have to agree to an amendment or constitutional conventions in each state. So it's sort of up to Congress to decide which one they want. And that's how we've had uh, almost, pretty much all of our amendments is, is been the state legislatures uh, ratifying that. Um, and the last one was in 1992, the 27th Amendment. And Symbolically, although it hasn't been allowed to take effect, the ERA just hit uh, the Equal Rights Amendment just hit its 38th state uh, a, a couple months ago. So, mm -hmm. without an expiration date, we would have now have we would now have 28 amendments in the Constitution. So, like, is this just a misunderstanding of the document? Like, why are people so married to certain things and like using them as as if they are like the word of God? I think that we have had a lot of democracy added in this country. So today, every state has a, has a, allows its citizens to vote for president. At the beginning of the country and for the first many years, almost 100 years, state legislatures chose that. For the first 100 plus years of this country, we couldn't vote for U.S. senators. State legislatures chose them. So we had no, we've only been able to directly elect U.S. senators since 1913. Before that, it was oh. uh, it was state legislatures picked the senators. So we've added a lot of democracy to this country that didn't exist at the outset. And I think that not having democracy benefits certain people in power because we basically only got as 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 residents, citizens of the United States, uh, we only got to vote directly for um the House of Representatives. We couldn't vote for senators. Uh, we couldn't necessarily vote for president unless our state let us. Uh, we still don't vote for judges. And I'm right. talking about just the federal level. So mm -hmm. we've added a lot of democracy over the years. And I think that there is a, a, a real uh, a fact that if we did allow if we did have more democracy, more people allowed to vote, like that would threaten people who are currently in power because a lot of them have gotten to power uh, through voter suppression. Mm -hmm. I also think there's a lot of like, like when you were talking about the letter between Jefferson and, and um, Madison, it's like, you know, you grow out of stuff. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'm per I I'm referring to like the Second Amendment specifically, right, where people are like the right to bear arms, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, like they did not anticipate um, assault rifles. Uh, 
so is there a lot of stuff like that where you're like, uh, like this is you're using this in this way, but it, it's it was not meant to be used this way. There's a lot. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a whole bunch. So specifically for the Second Amendment, it's pretty wild to think that from. Uh, it was it was part of the Bill of Rights. So the first ten amendments are are collectively called the Bill of Rights. And and as the Second Amendment, this was ratified in 1791. So between 1791 and 2008, it wasn't a crazy. It, it wasn't debatable that everyone had a right to a gun. It was very clear, and the courts ruled like this mm-hmm. that you know the Constitution only gives people who are in a militia. Uh, a right to own a gun or people who are eligible for the militia. And today, we, we the, the word militia is is sort of outdated. Today, we're talking about the National Guard and Reserve. So in the last hundred years, like the, the National Guard is, ba- the U.S. National Guard is basically like the modern day militia. So mm-hmm. it wasn't controversial that this was something that was reserved for a well-regulated militia, regulated by Congress, which is supposed to arm and discipline and establish training for the militia. But then this court case in 2008, District of Columbia versus Heller, said that people have the right to a gun because of for, for self-defense purposes, totally unconnected to militias ever. And this is a revolutionary interpretation because it's a brand new way of looking at it. I mean, literally the first three words are well, well regu- a well-regulated militia. Like this right. is not something that was misunderstood back in the day. But I mean, here, here's my own personal thought is that by expanding access to weapons, you sell more guns and it's profitable for the people who manufacture guns. And this I is think a, you're this spot is a, on. I think you think so. I think, I think I, it's I think a wild it. theory. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I think you got it. People always um, misinterpret well-regulated militia, and then or they or you know they willfully forget it is the thing. I think that's a good way of looking at it. What else feels super outdated that potentially, if it came up with in the Supreme Court, could could really move our country backwards? Well, one thing that happened this this week, and this isn't specifically in the Constitution, but um, it's relating to, to civil rights is we had this landmark rule that um, the word sex includes people who are who are trans and uh, mm. people who are who are gay. But what's uh, what's very weird about this is we're sort of celebrating and I was posting this about about this today on, on our, our OMG WTF social media is that the law only applies to companies with 15 or more employees. So theoretically, if you had seven employees, you could still fire someone for their national origin or being gay or being a woman or being black. Like, like the protections at the federal level only apply to 15 or more uh, companies. But Why is that the case? I, I don't know. This is when they, read, they wrote it in 1964. So I guess it was to say, you know, to carve out small, small businesses and not put too much government regulation on, uh, on small businesses. But there's, there's so much outdated stuff. The one thing that I really think if I could um, add an amendment to the Constitution, the first one I would add would be an anti-gerry. I would add two. Uh, the first one would be anti-gerrymandering. Can you explain gerrymandering for our international listeners? Sure. So since the 1840s, Congress has said that uh, we decide representatives to the the U.S. House uh, based on district. So theoretically before that, you know, California has 53 representatives now. Um, You could just have 53 for the state, not each 
of the 53 corresponds to like an area, a geographical area or a specific number of people. Uh, but since the 1840s, every uh, uh, congressperson, every representative corresponds to an area of the state and the people who live in that state. And it's supposed to represent roughly the same amount of people so that everyone's voices is, is equal in the, in the House. But who draws the lines for the districts? And in most states, it's still the state legislatures, so state right. houses and senates. And if you have the lo- power to draw the lines, you can draw them in a way that manipulates certain outcomes. So say you knew that there were a lot of Democratic voters in cities. You could draw it so that uh, the lines um, you know, go through a bunch of different districts, like go the lines go through the city and you break the city up into a bunch of small pieces so that the votes of the people living in that city aren't very powerful in each district, and that's called cracking. Or you could draw um, Democratic voters into a specific single district uh, so that their votes are less impactful in the other districts, and that's called packing. So there are ways to, to, to cheat and draw the lines, and these lines last for 10 years. And we have an opportunity this year to draw to elect people who will redraw the lines in 2021. So this is something that is the Supreme Court, while they had a, in my opinion, a, a, a monumental and great ruling this past week, uh, they have completely shat the bed on gerrymandering, and they say that there's nothing in the Constitution that says you can't gerrymander based on political party, which is technically true. But let's be honest: how are they deciding who belongs in which party? A lot of state legislatures are using race. And they're drawing because the idea, uh, assumption being a lot of African-Americans tend to vote Democratic, so they are using race as the, uh, uh, the, the, the litmus for drawing the lines and disenfranchising people of color, which is something we've been doing in this country forever. So I would say, number one, we have to eliminate partisan gerrymandering. And number two would be publicly funded elections. The corrupting influence of money in this, in this country means that politicians are more concerned about the people who uh, write checks than the people who cast votes. Yep. And we need to get away from that. And if you had those two amendments, you would have a much different looking Congress, much different looking state legislatures and a much more representative government. What does it mean to have it be publicly funded elections? So instead of allowing people to to donate uh, to campaigns from their own pocket, uh, it would come out of our tax dollars. So there would be a, a, a pile of money, so to speak, earmarked for elections. So uh, every candidate would get a, a certain amount of money that they could spend, or each person would get a certain amount of money that they could donate. So, for example, mm. in Seattle, they yeah, have... Yeah, I, I heard about that yeah. a little bit, yeah. So basically everyone gets, I think it's $100, in sort of four different $25 um, certificates and they can, you know, give all four to one candidate. They could give, you know, each $25 certificate to a wow. different candidate. Um, but instead of, you know, it being based on whose supporters are the, which candidate supporters are the richest, everyone has access to the same amount of money. And it's just how good is your argument? Because we do have laws on donating to federal candidates. So you can only give $2,800 in the primary stage and the general election stage right now to someone running for president or someone running for the House or running for the Senate. But in a lot of states, you can give a lot of money. In Texas, Mm -hmm. you can give to someone running for governor, you can give them unlimited money as an individual. So if you have $10 billion, you could give $3 billion to a candidate for governor in Texas. There are no limits. Also, there are no term limits for governor of Texas. And it depends on the state. Some states are like this. Corporations can give unlimited money to um, uh, to candidates in certain states at the state level. So money is just, you know, it's just who, you know, people... 
making their case to rich people who are then bankrolling them and they keep them in office. And so a lot of our elected representatives are representing rich people rather than all people. And can you talk a little bit about Citizens United and what that ruling was and if you think that was constitutional? So Citizens United is, they're talking about the ruling from 2010, 10 years ago. And basically what happened is that it, it independent expenditures were something that existed before, but this notion of something called a super PAC. So PAC stands for Political Action Committee, and they raise money, and they can, you know, instead of only being able to give $2,800 as me or you or, or you as an individual, um, PACs can give $5,000. So it's a little bit of a higher limit. But super PACs are these entities where you can't give money directly to a candidate, uh, but you can make, you can spend unlimited money talking about that candidate on TV, on Mm -hmm. uh, digital ads, on flyers, mailers, whatever. And you can spend as much money as you want saying you do or don't like somebody, but you can't coordinate your message with that person. So say, Gabby, you are running for uh, um, a state attorney general of California. Oh, and would love to. I, and Allison uh, is, uh, I'm a big supporter of yours. Allison is not a supporter. She does not want you to be elected attorney general of California. That makes sense. Well, mostly because she's not even a lawyer. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a good, and, and look, maybe that's something you can talk about in your super pack ads, but I'm going to be <laughs> saying that we need a fresh perspective, a non-legal perspective that we've had so much of the same for so long and we need a change and i have i luckily my startup in silicon valley uh is valued at 10 billion dollars uh i'm going to spend a billion dollars of my money on tv ads talking about how amazing gabby is and how she should be elected attorney general uh you are uh you also have a very successful startup allison um but you don't want gabby to be elected and so you're going to spend you know a billion dollars of your money on attack ads and every time people go to their mailbox, they're going to see these anti-Gabby ads and, you know, all these things that Gabby's going to do and take money out of people's pockets and pass these laws and or, or enforce these laws. So it's so weird. And- Allison's doing that now and I'm not even running for anything. <laughs> I did. I did want to ask about a couple of things I received in the mail. Maybe we can talk about that. <laughs> pictures of myself with devil horns drawn on, paid for by committee of Allison Raskin. So no, that's too anti-Semitic. I go after it another way. <laughs> so we can spend, or maybe it's our we, you know, our our super packs that we started. We can spend unlimited money uh, talking, uh, saying good things about Gabby, saying bad things about Gabby. People should vote for her, shouldn't vote for her, but neither of us can talk to Gabby. We can't talk mm-hmm. to Gabby and say, oh, Gabby, uh, you want to talk about your uh, specifically uh, your the time you spent after college, you know, instead of going to law school, doing this and it uh, and it was really good for your record. And you want to get that out there. So I'm going to spend money talking about that. I can't coordinate with with Gabby mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. but totally uncoordinated. I can say whatever I want and spend unlimited money. And Citizens United said that it was companies, corporations, super PACs started by these corporations have freedom of speech. You know, it's, you can't limiting, limiting, uh, uh, you know, the amount of money they can spend talking shit or, or, or supporting candidates, uh, is stifling their free speech, which is corporations are people. Corporations are people. Right. And, and they have the, the right to free speech under the first amendment, basically. So it's, it's this bullshit rule because there are always, always ways to cheat and get around the coordination. I mean, literally certain candidates have been tweeting things uh, like, uh, barely coded messages to their super PACs like Ted Cruz or, or others. I don't want to specify anyone because I don't know exactly what was said, but 
people, I think it was someone on the Ted Cruz campaign, someone on the Pete Buttigieg campaign were just like, it was basically like, if there are any super PACs listening, like it would suck, you know, to have them use this mess. I mean, all or oh, in YouTube yeah, videos, yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. there are always, there are obvious ways to get around the coordination because if you're putting it out there on Twitter publicly, you know, technically mm-hmm. it's not, you know, covert coordination, but um, that's still, that's still illegal. So point is, is that it, Citizens United sucks and it's been a corrupting influence on our government and we have to get rid of it. Why did they approve it? Was it based on something in the Constitution? It's well, the idea being free speech. So under the okay. under the the First Amendment, Congress can't limit uh, uh, speech. But you know, corporations, I, I technically yes, are collect a group of people work at corporations. But I think it's weird to think that a, a legal entity um, is is an individual person uh, mm-hmm. and therefore has the right to uh, to speech under the under the First Amendment. But that is the idea: is that you know by by limiting the amount as long as it's not coordinating with the candidate limiting the amount um that people could spend on advertising to talk about something uh they said it was you know a violation of the first amendment so with supreme court justices and sort of judges in general like their rule of law is the constitution right in theory that that's what they're referring to when they're making their verdicts but how much of it is really personal preference so Here's one thing that I learned writing this book that I I probably I know I learned back in a government class in eighth grade at some point, but I kind of didn't know how important it was. So <laughs> the Constitution doesn't say that the Supreme Court can strike down a law if it thinks it's unconstitutional. It just says that the courts are 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 the responsibility is to interpret the laws, but it doesn't say that if they decide something is unconstitutional, they can actually strike down the law and and remove the law. That's something that started in the early 1800s, and it's called judicial review. So we've all sort of just accepted this as the Supreme Court's role since since then, and assumed that like we're all okay with that happening, but it's not actually in the in the Constitution, which is really strange. But so sort of like striking down aspects of Obamacare is actually not their job right they can say this is unconstitutional congress should do something about it this is unconstitutional we shouldn't have this but the specific thing saying that they can literally remove a law or strike a law as invalid if they find it unconstitutional uh that's not in the that's not in the constitution this interview has upset me (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to well but then again you know we just saw judicial review being used in a good way and saying Mm -hmm. that you know this uh you know it's unconstitutional to deny to fire someone uh for for being gay or, or or being transgender so that's not you know any any law that was existing that that allowed that um is now, you know, not allowed. So they could strike that down. Or, um, you know, we've definitely seen examples of judicial review being used in in in, in good ways or in ways I think are good. But they just upheld DACA this morning, which is great. Right. Exactly. So there <sighs> are it's super the Supreme Court is very, very powerful. But um, the to answer your question, judges are people and judges have their own preferences. And there is this sense of duty to, uh, you know, to really uh, adhere to the Constitution and really think about 
cases in an honest way, but of course, personal preferences are going to, are going to, are going to seep in. But every now and then, you know, people's expectations are, are thwarted. I personally had a sneaking suspicion that Neil Gorsuch was going to rule the way that he did, because when they were hearing the case, he was asking all of these questions. He was super involved. And a lot of um, uh, journalists were like, wow, he really seems to be coming down on the the side of, uh, uh, you know, uh, allowing, you know, giving these rights to, to, to trans and, and gay people. And, um, you know, this is something that we would have thought of him. We still think of him as a very conservative justice, but in his honest interpretation of the word sex, he thinks that, you know, anyone who fires someone for being gay or trans is, yeah, you're firing someone based on their, on their sex. You can't unlink, uh, uh, a transgender status or sexual orientation from, from sex. They're inherently linked. And so you can't, you can't fire those people on those bases. So, it's it's always about a personal preference. It's always, you know, the idea that there are judges out there who are going to completely leave their own biases at home is is bullshit. But there's also there are a lot of judges who and justices who who really do believe in the founding documents and in the importance of law and understand the power of their job, because a lot of these people at the federal level serve for life. They're there mm-hmm. forever, and their decisions are going to have a massive influence, not just this year or the next year, but for many, many, many years. And so I think a lot of them take that very seriously, but you're always going to have judges with their own personal opinions. Before we move on to, to the game show portion, is there any final things that you wish people would know about the Constitution? There, there are. And what I have been told my entire life in all my government education, I found out is a lie. And it is this. I've always been told that we have three co-equal branches of government. And I remember professors or teachers drawing on a board the legislative branch, the executive branch, the judicial branch. And they're usually the same three circles. And we hear about co-equal checks and balances. Checks and balances is not the same thing as equal amounts of power. You can have branches of government that check each other in certain ways. But that doesn't mean that each branch has an equal amount of power that it's divided, you know, a third, a third, a third. In the Constitution, it's very, very clear, overwhelmingly clear that the most powerful branch by far is Congress. It's not even Mm. close. Congress has the power to make laws. They have the ability to overrule the president on on the signing of laws. They have the power to throw the president out of office. The president doesn't have the power to throw Congress out of office. Uh, Congress. Well, hello, Congress. What are you doing? (laughs) Now, whether or not they use that power is a different thing. (laughs) Ding dong. Hello, we're calling. Ring, ring. Um, well, you, I mean, this is a perfect segue into the fact that we should know who these people are because they have so much more power than we realize. And that goes for state legislatures, too. So at the end of the book, um, I ask people to know the names of five people in their life. If you live in Nebraska, it's four people. But every other state, it's five people. And those people are your two U.S. senators, your one U.S. representative, your state senator, and your state representative. And if you live in Nebraska, you don't have you only have a state senator, so it's four people. But every other state it's five people because I think that a lot of us don't can't even name all five of those people. The truth is before writing this book, I'm I'm not sure I I could uh, or unless unless until the last several years I've been getting more engaged, I I couldn't. And it's we can only make a change 
at the state level, at the federal level, if, if we know who represents us. And we have to know mm-hmm. if we agree with those people and we have to know where they stand and how they're voting. And we have to pay attention to them because we are their bosses. We pay with our tax dollars, their salaries and their benefits and their expenses. And every two or four or six years, we decide if we want to re-up their contract. But right now we're barely paying attention in the interview process. We, you know, give them their job. We don't really check in to see if they're doing a good, a good one. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe we give them another two years or four years or six years and we have to pay a lot more attention because they work they work for us and i think if everyone knew the answer to those five those five questions knew those five people followed them on social media tweeted at them from time to time asking them questions or telling them how they felt about certain votes and making sure that they actually do represent them then i think this country would look a lot different this was more than i learned in school total (laughs) (laughs) so florida education system anyway go for it (laughs) do you want to play a game show i would love to play a game show so the rules are about as loose as the american constitution (laughs) um (laughs) you and gabby are my contestants i'm gonna give you some hypothetical situations you can ask clarifying questions but then you tell me what you would do in that situation our first game America's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? You find out that your spouse, who is currently the President of the United States, had a secret child without telling you early in your marriage. They have been secretly supporting the child this whole time and now want to come clean about it to you and the entire world. Would you stay with this cheater? They are hands down the best president we have ever had. Do I go first, Gabby? Yeah, who, no, who, Ben, how, Ben, you oh, go, God. Ben, you go. Um, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, if Jackie was president and told me that she had a secret child um, and she was an amazing president, I think I would stay with her. Now, what were the, what was the conditions of having this child? They had an affair and, um, you know, they had a baby and didn't tell you, um, you thought they just gained weight. Yeah, let me ask you a question. <laughs> and then for both myself and Ben, how did Jackie and Mal hide their pregnancies? <laughs> because they, you know, you were they were actually you guys were long distance for that year. Mm. Oh, for the whole year. Mm-hmm. FaceTime only from the neck up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Because uh, you were actually a research scientist and you were in Antarctica. <laughs> okay. 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 Wow. Um y- yeah, I I'm gonna say uh, I would stay because they're a good president and I mean, like how much do I like the new kid? Um, you like them, but also like they've been having you know secret FaceTimes with this kid this whole time. Ah, uh, that's wow. really rough for me. I don't yeah. like that. I don't like that. How old's the kid? The kid is thirty and running for Congress, and that's why your <laughs> spouse is now coming out about it <laughs> to endorse them. Okay, that's kind of cute. That's kind of sweet. <laughs> like, I would watch that movie. Like, that's sweet. Okay, I would stay. I'd be stoked to have two, you know, people serving in the federal government in my immediate family. I think that would be uh, that'd be a new thing to have. Well, unfortunately, the kid has been brainwashed by the Russians and they're Russian spies. It's a Manchurian candidate! <laughs> yes. I should have seen that it's a Manchurian candidate coming. It's almost always a Manchurian candidate. <laughs> ben is dying. Ben is losing it right now. I just, I'm, you know, I guess like Jack and I have got to have a conversation after this podcast and make sure, yeah, you really know, make sure we're being one. all transparent about stuff. 
the moral of this is don't leave your spouse for a year to go to Antarctica. <laughs> they will get pregnant <laughs> with a Manchurian candidate. Okay, our next scenario. Are you a terrible parent? Your teenager broke curfew three times. So as a punishment, you are making them memorize the Constitution. <laughs> it takes them six months, during which time they fail a history exam and lose two friends because they aren't around to hang out. But they will now know the Constitution for the rest of their life. Are you a terrible parent? They are an out-of-work actor. Um, I mean, one question is, depends on the friends. If these were people I felt were bad influences on their life, then maybe it was good to shed. I would say it's important to know the Constitution. I would say, I don't know how much, you know, if we're giving ourselves a timeline on the acting and, you know, giving ourselves a, a period of time to try to make a, a, a go at it. And They're then, 45. Ah! And they live in your basement. Ah! Okay, and and they are still trying to be an actor because you can be 45 and live in your parents basement but you just need to you just cannot be holding on to dead dreams Would no they... they're trying they're still trying to be the actor but they can't even get a part in community theater they're that bad what oh. about part-time teaching could they could they spend a, could they get a, a job teaching oh, yeah. part-time in in schools yeah they're not in, they're not interested okay well then you're a terrible parent yeah that's on me for sure yeah but oh man are they fun at parties <laughs> Why? Because they can just recite the Constitution? You don't think that people would love that? I don't know, Ben, have you ever been at a party reciting the Constitution and people loved it? I feel like he this doesn't is, have it memorized. <laughs> this has kind of been my thing at the last several parties, and now I'm realizing maybe uh, I'm not as fun a guest as I thought I was. <laughs> there you go. I'd love to hear it. You know, not for more than five minutes, but right. for a bit. <laughs> okay, our final game. Are they an alien or just rude? During a Supreme Court hearing about whether or not gun violence victims can sue gun manufacturers, one of the lawyers defending the gun manufacturers sings all of God Bless America with bravado for over two minutes. Is this person an alien or just rude? They are very good at singing. What, what, is, the, what is their point? Like, at what part in the trial is this? Um, their closing argument. They do the full song. <laughs> I think they're just rude. I think so, too. I feel like a lawyer would fucking do this. I feel like now in 2020, this is like exactly what a fucking... They, and then they'd be like, I rest my case. Like, I, I could see this absurdity occurring. <laughs> and it's I'm so mad, but I feel like it would happen. Ben? I mean, there are some reprehensible people with gorgeous voices in this world. <laughs> and I think that the two things are, are completely unconnected. And I feel like, yeah, there would be some lawyer who would be defending a gun manufacturer and has a gorgeous voice and is trained in opera and sings at their church. And I would love to listen to maybe not knowing their uh, their day job. So, yeah, I think they'd just be rude. Not only are they rude, they have also been infiltrated by the Russians. <sighs> They're a Manchurian lawyer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I should have seen it coming. And their rendition of God Bless America has secret codes and stuff, so it's actually brainwashing everybody. Yeah, they're being activated. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, Should have known better. Yeah, it took a while to get to activation and hypothetical. Yeah, should, we're God, here. I should have known better. <laughs> That's on me. I think it's on both of us. Yeah. <laughs> ben, 
thank you so much for being our guest. Where can people follow you and read your book? Uh, they can follow me uh, at, at that Ben Sheehan. And the book, OMGWTF Does the Constitution Actually Say, is available everywhere uh, right now. And as of July 7th, it will also be available in Spanish. Oh, that's oh, well, so thank cute. You. Thank that's you awesome. so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about responsibility in society. Should you wear a mask is part of it. Yes. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. So I don't know if you guys know this, but um, we're still in a pandemic. It's not over. (laughs) People have just decided it is. Can I tell you, everyone in my goddamn hometown, and yeah, even if you're my friend and you're listening to this, why are you guys getting pedicures? Why are you guys hanging out with your grandparents? I see you on Instagram. I see you flying places. I see you, I see you fucking out and about without masks on at bars. I can see you. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. So that's what the topic is. Is basically like we're seeing that people are resisting having to do basic things to prevent a public health crisis, even though the crisis is already happening, to prevent yeah. even more deaths, right? So there's for whatever reason, we'll get into the reasons, people are resistant to obeying social distancing. They're resistant, especially to wearing masks. They're um, acting as though everything has gone back to normal. There's a lot of people who are like, I'm not giving up my freedom so that, you know, to wear a mask. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not what it means to be an American. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but I want to specifically talk about why the fuck won't you wear a mask so like let's assume that like for whatever reason you think that you're immune to covid which you're not um okay. so you're not worried about your own health right but why do some people not care about other people's health is very confusing to me very good question so there's an article that i reference all the time that i love called the empathy gap by cleo mm-hmm. chang And basically, it's just about, like, why can you not care about other people? (laughs) And and I think I encourage you guys to go read that. I read this article about um, people who are going to, like, underground parties now and, like, not wearing masks and, like, going to these, like, fuck it underground parties. And a quote from one of the girls that the reporter interviewed, she says, um, well, I've always been suicidal anyway, so it doesn't matter if I wear a mask. Now, okay, edgelord, okay, fucking Tumblr 2010-ass bitch, but let me tell you something. It's not just you that's going to get sick. Mm -hmm. You're killing other people. Right. And so, you know, kind of like touching on what Trevor Noah was talking about in terms of Black Lives Matter, like, we are part of a society. Yes. You know, and so we have a responsibility to each other to mm-hmm. treat each other well and to look out for each other and to not put each other in danger for literally no reason other than you want people to see your bottom half of your face. 
Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> like, I don't think that if you are someone who is not wearing a mask, you should then get to benefit off of society. You can go <laughs> not wear a mask and live in the mountains and like grow your own food and completely, you know, be like self-sustaining. But if you're at all going to benefit off of what other people do and provide, then you should fucking wear a mask. Oh, my God. OK, let me talk about something else. The The way that men don't want to wear masks because they find it pun intended, emasculating. So Joe Rogan, who I fucking hate, mm-hmm. uh, is like on his show, he has an episode with Bill Burr that was I was seeing clipped around, who I also don't like. And they're talking about, and at least Bill Burr is like, you gotta wear a mask. And Joe Rogan is like, don't you find it like emasculating? Why? What? What? Why? Why? And I saw this article, this really interesting article. I'd have to find it. But it's like about like how there's this person that wrote it is like, I'm seeing couples out and about and the woman in the couple is wearing a mask and the man isn't. And what the hell is that about? I'm almost hopeful that it's coming from a place of misinformation where people just like do not understand somehow the gravity of what's going on. Yes. But if you do and you're still choosing to not wear a mask, I I mean... it's like lawless endangerment. Like, you you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're not so, allowed to like have a disease and then consciously give it to other people. Like people have gone to jail for that. Yeah. OK, so uh, it's an article in Vogue called She Does, He Doesn't. The Gender Divide in Mask Wearing. And the photo in the article is Jared Kushner not wearing a mask. And then he's with uh, uh, Ivanka and their two children. And the children and Ivanka are wearing masks. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind if he died, but... No, I, but he, I don't want him to kill... I mean, all my grandparents are dead. But, like, I don't want him to kill my aunt and uncle. I don't want him to kill I know. my elderly father. Like, it's just, like, so wild to... It's this American individualism. Mm-hmm. And it's also patriarchy. And it's also this thing of men not wanting to, like, look weak or look effeminate. It's like when you see those things on Twitter where it's like fellas are you wash are you is it gay to wash your asshole and it's like no it's not your body to wash your asshole what are you fucking talking about like toxic masculinity and like homophobia is just like i can't i i don't even i can't even get into it also i think that america has done an incredible job of politicizing a health issue Nowhere else in the world, really, is it, like, a matter of, like, your politics. The fact that, like, it's scientifically proven that wearing a mask and social distancing will help prevent the further spread of this disease. Right. But, like, we are so great at, like, feeding false information, at having a president who gives false information, that it's now, like, a political statement to not wear a mask. And, like... The people that are like, it's an inconvenience. But I'm wondering, like, well, wouldn't you feel awful if you killed someone? And I feel like their answer is no. I feel like they'd be like, well, they probably had a pre-existing condition. Oh, if I see that shit, the fucking pre-existing condition shit, which is so ableist and is so like, so so they deserve to die. So they deserve to die because they have a pre-existing condition. Pre-existing condition could be anything from asthma to cancer so are we just going to go around fucking shooting people with asthma in the head? Is that what we're doing? Well, they are doing that at protests. <laughs> I, they they did. They, <laughs> last week, our former episode guest, Cerise Castle. But, like, 
it's just such a simple thing. Like we are asked to be to do such a simple thing. And 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 you can't even do it. And let me tell you something else. This gets into my my whole fucking rant against the TSA. <laughs> it's been one a while guy, since we've had one of those. I know. Uh, gosh, it's been so long since I talked about the TSA. One guy put a bomb in his shoe. Mm-hmm. And all in a- now we all take off our shoes. I don't because I paid for pre-check because I'm an elitist. But other, but like, we all take off our shoes. So a, a, a pandemic is ki- killing 100,000 people. Over. Plus more. Just in our country. Put your fucking mask on. You take your shoes off at the airport. Put your fucking mask on. Because at the airport, you're not allowed to then go on the plane if you don't do it. But if you're not allowed to go into the grocery store without a mask and people are shitting their pants about that. I know, but I'm just saying I think that that they're I think people are not observing the rules. So like there are businesses where like my parents went to go like look at a car dealership and they went inside and a lot of the people weren't wearing masks. Even though they should be. So it's like it's again that thing of like unifying not letting people who won't follow the rules engage society. And you are responsible. I'm sorry, but you are responsible for other people in your community. Yes. You are responsible for other people's health. You are responsible in, the, you like, people who are like, it's not my problem. It fucking is your problem. Then literally live alone on a mountain. Like, if you, if you are at all engaging with other people in your life, <sighs> then it is your problem. Yeah. Tamika, want to come on in and yell? What's your experience been with uh, people wearing masks or not wearing masks? Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't get it. Simple as that. I mean, I guess I, I can guess why people aren't wearing them, it, you know, for many reasons. Maybe a political statement. Maybe people are just not used to having to think about others in their community. Like they don't really think about themselves in, in the community. They just like live in a place. Mm-hmm. I think that's really common for cities. What about your own family, though? What do you mean? Like, I friends of mine from home, like, fully, like, flew down from what from someplace to, like, hang out with their parents. Like, you're mm. going to kill your mom. They still don't care. No, I think it's like a testament of willpower. If you're not used to having to, to keep yourself in check or to basically withhold love or affection, it's really difficult for people to go months and months and months without seeing people that are important to them and having mm-hmm. that physicality. Uh, and so I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I can, I can understand why so many people give in mm-hmm. and say, oh, this is worth the risk. I don't know how to exist without this companionship, especially people who don't have like great partners like both of you do. But Allison's obsessed with her parents and she hasn't been doing anything bad. Allison's very responsible and very aware of how her actions impact other people. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> I don't know anyone who likes their parents more than Allison. I think there's different factors for different people, but none of those factors are correct. <laughs> you know, like whatever mm-hmm. your reason is for not wearing a mask, it's wrong and you need to do it. Amen, sister. Yeah, I think maybe people had more coping strategies. But, but okay, but not even that. What about the people that are at bars? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, you also have to ask what, what's so important about being in that space that you find it worth the risk to go there. Um, some people get really attached to spaces that in a way I don't. So I don't mm-hmm. quite understand it either. 
But you get attached to trees. I do. Yeah, you love trees. That's like a safe attachment, fortunately. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness. Uh, I'm just seeing like friends from home that are just like fully at the bar. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is this misinformation coming from the head of our government saying that it's not no longer a problem. I also mm. will say that I, again, am from Florida. So, <laughs> and I also think that we've kind of touched on this in um, like our exposure therapy conversation, but it is really hard to maintain a level of um, fear for that long. Mm. So I think that it has just been going on for so long that people just have become desensitized to it. And instead of then switching over to an intellectual point of view, which is that like, I might feel less afraid, but intellectually, I know that this is still happening and it is still rampant and I need Mm -hmm. to be safe. People aren't switching that and instead are just listening to the fact that their body is less afraid. So then they're like, I don't need to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, therapist point of view from Allison Raskin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, who knows if that's right, but that's my hypothesis. <laughs> no, look, everybody's got their things that they're good at. Allison, therapy, me, wild conspiracy. <laughs> hey, I did it that too. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Tamika, keeping us on the straight and narrow. <laughs> somehow, somehow reining this in every week. <laughs> what do we rate the episode? Uh, I rate it uh, 11 out of 11 liberal therapists. Mm. Mm. I will rate it um, 12 out of 10. The Constitution is a living document that can be changed. Thank you. Tamiks. Do people call you that? No, no one has <laughs> literally ever called me that. <laughs> no, has anyone ever called you Meeks? My nickname is Mika. Mika. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. Uh, I got to rate this 10 out of 10 masks. Yeah. Yeah. Wear your masks. And also look up your representatives. Yes. (laughs) Those are your homework assignments. Absolutely. Thank you to Ben Sheehan for being our very intelligent guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Moderana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. What about Meeks? I like Meeks. That's cute. You don't you get can't, to pick her nickname. Know. You can't, you can't <laughs> force a nickname. You can't force it. You can't force it. Fine. <laughs> Stitcher.